A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome again to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I'm so glad that you're with us on the program today. We're going to be talking about uh, what's going on in Oregon. Not the uh, continued rising violent crime in Portland. No. Um, We're going to talk about the gun control initiative that's going to be on the ballot this November probably anyway, uh, that purports to address violent crime and reduce gun violence. Instead, though, virtually every one of these provisions is aimed at people who are or are hoping to be legal gun owners. Yeah. So the uh, Los Angeles Times, among the uh, news outlets reporting yesterday, that uh, Oregon voters will decide on one of the nation's strictest gun control policies, uh, noting that the measure would, quote, ban large capacity magazines of more than 10 rounds. Uh, Although there is a grandfather clause, I'm actually kind of surprised that that exists for uh, current owners and, of course, for law enforcement and the military, right, Uh, as well as requiring a permit to purchase a firearm. To qualify for a permit, the LA Times says an applicant would need to complete an approved firearm safety course, pay a fee, provide personal information, submit to fingerprinting and photographing, and pass a criminal background check. Now, keep in mind, this is in addition to the background check that you will have to undergo when you actually purchase a firearm. This is an entirely duplicative effort. Uh, And I got to say, I'm not convinced that uh, it's actually going to stand up to constitutional scrutiny because there's... Again, some some weasel words about uh, the issuing authorities, uh, police chiefs and, and county sheriffs, um, having some discretion, right, uh, to look into. They don't specifically talk about your good moral character, but they say, you know, if there are concerns uh, about your mental health, concerns about uh, your uh, dangerousness, doesn't matter if you've been arrested or charged with a crime, much less convicted of one, which, of course, you know, depending on the offense, might prohibit you from owning a firearm. None of that has to have happened. So there is still, I think, uh, uh, too much discretion given to these issuing authorities to decide who gets to exercise their Second Amendment rights. But this is just one portion of the uh, gun control initiative that, again, is likely to be on the ballot. As uh, NRA's Institute for Legislative Action points out, uh, IP-17, in addition to the magazine ban, in addition to the permit to purchase, would create a government registry of law-abiding gun owners' personal information, as well as creating an indefinite delay of firearms transfers. Yeah, this is interesting. So the, uh, I believe it's the Oregon Firearms Federation, uh, actually had a a post on their website earlier this month, I think back on July the 1st, um, as the signatures were being turned in and the Secretary of State uh, there in Oregon was starting to go through these signatures to see how many of them were valid. Uh, Oregon Firearms Federation released a statement, uh, again, outlining some of their problems with this proposed initiative. And they say, quote, it's not an overstatement to say that for many, this measure would essentially ban the future purchase of firearms. This is not an exaggeration, they say. Section 2 of the measure calls for the, quote, regulation of sale, purchase, and otherwise transferring of all firearms Section 3 creates a mandate for a permit to purchase a firearm, any firearm, and they lay out the existing process right now. They say that uh, Oregon State Police have no statutory time limit 
on how long that they can take to conduct a background check. You know, the federal level, it's basically three days. And if the FBI hasn't completed the check, then a dealer can proceed with a sale uh, if they want. Oregon Firearms Federation says there are many cases of people waiting over two years for the completion of a check. Requests for information or corrections from the Oregon State Police are routinely ignored. And while current law in Oregon allows a transfer to take place after three business days if the state police has not completed the check, in practice, they say that virtually never happens because dealers fear retribution from the ATF. But this ballot measure removes even that one small and rarely used safeguard, they say. So now you have to wait. Dealers would have to wait until those checks are conducted, even if it takes two years or longer. And they also, uh, the Oregon Fires Federation also talks about the uh, permit to purchase that uh, they know will be required before you can even start the often, quote, frustrating process of getting permission from the state police. Under the proposed permit to purchase, you must apply for the new permit from the police chief or the sheriff of your jurisdiction which, again, will require an additional background check and fees. Uh, The application must provide any information that the permitting agent demands. The applicant must uh, complete a, quote, firearm safety course. Keep in mind that this is required just to ask for permission from the sheriff to then ask permission from the state police to simply buy a firearm, not to carry one. Uh, The uh, course itself that you are required to take uh, it talks about the language of the ballot initiative. It talks about being a, a law enforcement certified firearms instructor, so not NRA approved firearms instructors or anything like that. It's very unclear. I mean, it sounds like, honestly, this system, um, at least going forward, would have to be built. Uh, the initiative does talk about, well, I mean, if you've got a concealed carry license, then your concealed carry course serves as your proof of training. But again, for future gun buyers, this is going to pose a uh, another challenge, another hurdle before they can exercise a fundamental civil right. And by the way, this permit to purchase is really odd. Uh, there are only a handful of states around the country that still have these permit to purchase laws on the books. In, in many cases, these are a relic quite frankly, of the Jim Crow era. North Carolina's permit to purchase law, for example, requires anybody uh, who wants to buy a handgun go to their county sheriff uh, and ask permission beforehand. And the county sheriff, again, has the subjective authority to say, I don't really think you're uh, suitable to own a handgun. Shotgun or rifle, sure, but uh, but not a not a pistol. Can't can't have that. The law was put on the books in the early 20th century. There was a study that was done out of North Carolina just a couple of years ago and found that to this day, they looked specifically at Wake County, North Carolina, and they found that to this day, black applicants are nearly three times as likely to be denied a pistol purchase permit than white applicants. Um, I'm not saying we're going to see that same subjective decision making there in Oregon. But it is certainly a distinct possibility, uh, given how this initiative has been crafted. So the good news is, and I will admit, this is just a sliver of good news. It's not a done deal. Uh, But the initiative, so the signatures have been approved 
by the uh, Oregon Secretary of State. Uh, she has said that uh, they have, you know, enough valid signatures to to get put on the ballot. Um, however, the next step here is that the explanatory statement committee uh, has to draft the statement for the ballot language. Um, the title of this initiative right now is called the Reduction of Gun Violence Act, which again. These are all laws aimed at legal gun owners, not violent criminals. You want to reduce violent crime? Plenty of things we could do. We start by, you know, ensuring that uh, let's uh, let's say the Portland Police Bureau has the adequate number of officers to respond to crimes because that's an issue right now. Uh, not again, where gun control advocates are going with this. So um, once the explanatory statement committee drafts this statement for the ballot on August third. So coming up here in just a couple of weeks, uh, the public will have an opportunity to comment on and to challenge that statement. Uh, NRA's Institute for Legislative Action uh, says that uh, they will uh, be updating members with the language of the draft statement as it becomes available. Uh, but they are also saying that it is critical that you provide comments on the draft statements, identifying the unconstitutional infringements that Initiative 17 will place on law-abiding firearm owners in Oregon. So when that public comment period opens in early August, uh, Oregon gun owners will have an opportunity to weigh in. And there is a chance, not a huge chance, again, I don't want to overestimate things, but there is a chance that the language of that statement uh, well, I think there's a really good chance that the language will be challenged, but there's a, a chance that uh, this initiative could get thrown out. We actually saw something similar in Florida when the group of Ban Assault Weapons Now uh, tried to get a gun ban initiative on the ballot. First, they had problems uh, collecting a uh, 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 number of signatures that they needed, uh, but then there was also issues with the way the ballot language was worded, and eventually that uh, initiative was uh, struck down by the Florida State Supreme Court. Uh, again, I'm not saying it's likely that that's going to happen in Oregon, but it is a possibility, and the odds improve uh, the more gun owners respond during this public comment period. So we'll keep an eye on things in Oregon. This is, to the best of my knowledge, the only gun control referendum that is going to be on the ballot this fall. And again, I, I think that uh, if this passes, as I suspected will in the blue state of Oregon, uh, it's going to be challenged in court. And I think that many of these provisions are in doubt, particularly the, the ban on quote unquote large capacity magazines, which are in common use for a variety of lawful purposes uh, and therefore should be protected by the Second Amendment. There's also not really a uh, tradition or, or history within the right to keep and bear arms of restricting capacity of a particular firearm. That's a fairly recent development, uh, probably going back to the 1980s or so, when California instituted its first ban on magazines with a capacity of greater than 10 rounds. Since then, only a handful of states around the country have adopted these types of magazine bans. Meanwhile, you've got, again, hundreds of years worth of American history of uh, advancements and developments in firearms where we went from, you know, single shot pistols to now multi shot revolvers. And there were no attempts to 
to, 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 to ban those revolvers. Well, you only have two rounds uh, in that revolver, right? When the first repeating rifles came on the market in the mid-19th century, there were no efforts to try to ban uh, those firearms because, uh, in the words of uh, Henry, repeating arms, uh, you could uh, uh, load on Sunday and shoot all week, right? That just didn't happen. It, this is a very recent development. And again, in just a handful of states. So by the Supreme Court's reasoning in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, I think Oregon and frankly, other states that are currently trying to defend their own magazine bans like New Jersey and California are going to be very hard pressed to find justification for these gun control laws in the historical record. But uh, uh, again, a, a court challenge is likely, uh, I would say almost a, a certainty. Uh, if this ballot initiative is approved, but uh, we've got a couple of steps to take between now and then. We, again, will keep you up to date on what's going on there in Oregon. But if you're an Oregon gun owner, I would encourage you to speak up uh, on August the 3rd when the public comment period begins. Uh, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a uh, headline from Mobile, Alabama. Convicted murderer back in the Mobile Jail. Yeah, that that would kind of a very definition of a recidivist report, right? Shamar Young served just three years behind bars for murder. So first of all, I mean that that's the first just outrageous fact for me. Uh, he was sentenced to three years last year. I'm sorry. So I said he served three years. No, 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 no. Sentenced to three years in 2021. For the murder of 19-year-old Kevin Benjamin, he had more than two years deducted for time served at the Mobile Metro Jail awaiting trial. He pleaded guilty to the crime. Total sentence was 20 years, 17 of which were suspended. And again, two years credit for time served. Five years probation once he uh, gets uh, done with that suspended sentence. A slap on the wrist for murder in Mobile. And Shamar Young arrested again over the weekend. Facing multiple charges, including attempted to elude, resisting arrest, probation violation. The uh, victim's family, Kevin Benjamin's family, says they are uh, frustrated but say that they are relieved that Young's latest charges are not violent charges. Uh, Benjamin was shot and killed back in April of 2018. Prosecutors say the shooting was initially intended to be a robbery. They say the defendants in the case, Brandon Sims and Shamar Young, as well as one other individual, conspired to steal marijuana from Benjamin. But in the process, shots were fired. Benjamin was killed. Sims and Young both sentenced to three years and then five years probation after. Young given credit for time served, two years and four months of his sentence before he was released on probation. Uh, and again, arrested over the weekend while serving this probationary sentence. So now the question becomes, uh, does this suspended sentence get revoked? Does Shamar Young go to prison? to serve out the rest of that 20-year sentence, the vast majority of which was suspended, or does the legal system cut him yet another break? The DA's office says that his probation officer is in the process of filing a delinquency report to revoke his bond, but that doesn't mean that this full sentence is going to be imposed. And I, in fact, think it's highly likely that Shamar Young is going to get another slap on the wrist before being sent on his merry way. We'll uh, keep an eye out for any updates to this case and bring any new details as they become available. Uh, today's armed citizen story from uh, not Alabama, but uh, neighboring Mississippi. 
where a crime spree in Lincoln County, Mississippi, ended when the uh, when a homeowner shot and killed the suspect. This was uh, early Tuesday morning, according to authorities, and the uh, a suspect in this case uh, shot, or excuse me, uh, allegedly assaulted uh, multiple people before he was shot and killed. Lincoln County Sheriff's Office says they got their first call about a disturbance around 4 o'clock Tuesday morning uh, regarding a man who had threatened others at a home. He left before deputies could arrive. While they were there, though, they got a call about somebody breaking into another home and assaulting two individuals before leaving. So deputies arrived at that home. They found that not only were two people assaulted, but that a neighbor had also been attacked. So the deputies are gathering information about these assaults, and then they got another 911 call about a guy trying to break into another home. As deputies were pulling up on the scene, they heard the sound of gunfire. When they arrived at the home where the gunshot took place, they found that a man had been shot trying to hit somebody with his car. Uh, That man was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. It was discovered that uh, that individual who was shot uh, was the individual uh, responsible for all of the earlier assaults uh, and disturbance calls. Two of this guy's victims actually taken to local hospital to be treated for their injuries. Uh, the homeowner who killed the suspect has not been charged. Sounds again at this point like he was acting in self-defense if the guy was trying to run him over. I uh, don't have a lot of uh, details, uh, including any information about what the motive might have been here. Was this drug-induced, drug-related? Was this a personal vendetta? Was this somebody off their meds? Was this uh, just a mental break? We don't know. Well, thankfully, we do know. Uh, that there was an armed citizen there who was able to protect his own life and uh, put a stop to these continuing threats. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. You know, if we had had time for a good deed yesterday, I would have talked, obviously, about the uh, pizza store driver who uh, ran into a burning home and uh, uh, saved that kid. That's an amazing story. But I think you've probably already heard about it from by now, right? So we'll go with this one instead. Uh, in New York City, a dog rescued by authorities in a Good Samaritan after being thrown off of a bridge Yeah, uh, into a river. I, some people are just absolute monsters, aren't they? Uh, this happened uh, Tuesday. Uh, according to ABC News, when Marine 4 from the New York Fire Department responded to report a dog that was in distress in the Harlem River after somebody reportedly threw the dog off of that bridge. Uh, when uh, Marine 4 arrived, Lieutenant Salvador Sedano discovered that there was a civilian in the water uh, with the flailing dog trying to keep it afloat and, and to prevent it from drowning. Um, don't know at this point who threw the dog into the river or why they did it. Uh, but authorities say that they were able to rescue the dog thanks to the uh, quick response time, uh, as well as the Good Samaritan. Again, you can uh, see the dog there in question. Poor pup. Uh, authorities didn't disclose any other information on the uh, age, condition, or the breed of the dog. But the uh, Fire Department of New York says without the quick response from both the civilian and FDNY members, the outcome for this animal could have been very different. And uh, hopefully. That pooch gets a a new forever home, maybe with a good Samaritan, maybe with a uh, fire department there as part of the FDNY, or I don't know. There's, you know, millions of people there in New York City. Someone, I'm sure, will be willing to take in that dog and give that uh, pup a much better life going forward. Now, that is all the time we've got for you here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company, uh, in part because 
It's hot, and I can't have the air conditioning on in my studio when we're doing these shows. So uh, i got to start doing the show earlier in the morning, I guess, this week, when it's going to get up to like 100 degrees in Virginia, feel like 110, 115. Otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, the sweat lodge with Cam, and uh, nobody really wants to see that. So we will be back tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I am uh, hopeful that you'll be with us as well. We'll be covering more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. But, of course, you can always check out BearingArms.com throughout the day to get updated as well. If you like what you see, please think about becoming a VIP subscriber. You can use the promo code GUNRIGHTS when you go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Not only will you get a significant savings on your VIP membership, you'll be supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism we do at Bearing Arms, and we're going to show our support and our thanks to you by giving you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't find anywhere else. Because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.